The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Welcome to another edition of Miracles in Recovery. My name is Ray. And I am here to share a little of my experience, strength, and hope in the addiction world. And I have in the studio with me tonight, again, Ellen Arnold. How are you, Ellen? I'm very well, thank you. And what is your wisdom of the week? Uh, I don't really have any. I'm still in the throes of house hunting, so I'm kind of miserable. <laughs> <laughs> still another week, right? Well, yeah. I guess you're in the right place. You're talking, you're talking exactly. about uh, recovery and being the parent of an addict. You use a 12-step group I do. yourself, correct? I, actually, uh, I, I go to a couple of different ones. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, is you probably have to use it more than we do. I think we do. Yeah. I really think we do. Yeah. Um, the so, biggest and hardest thing for me is staying out of everybody's business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking all up of, in there. Speaking out of staying out of everybody's business, um, we are lucky enough, and not saying that you're in anybody's business, Lisa, but we are lucky enough to have Lisa Cohen calling us from Los Angeles, California tonight. And she is the co-founder of Path to Serenity Treatment Center. Just a little quick about Lisa's um, she was raised by her parents in Newport Beach, California, and had a normal childhood and upbringing. Her parents divorced when she was 10. At age 11, her mother remarried. You know, it's funny. I was saying before the show that that sounds like my story. Um, you know, d- displaced by a few years, I'm 28 years clean. So this happened to me back in the early 70s. But, I mean, it, it follows the same lines. Um, hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Ray. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show today. Thanks for thanks for being a uh, contributing member to Miracles in Recovery. You know, I, it's funny because we get to see, uh, or I get to see every week, who listens to the show live. And last week, out of the random blue, we had listeners in Sweden. Oh, really? Yes, we oh, had wow. listeners in Sweden. Yeah, well, I mean, we have the regulars in the in the common countries, you know, like uh, United States, United Kingdom, you know, and then we have like uh, randoms in Russia, Japan, uh, even Lithuania. Africa We've had Africa, but there were four listeners in Sweden last week. So I don't know if they were having like a recovery party, and I don't even know what time it is in Sweden right now. But <laughs> wherever great. it is, thank you. Yeah, or or early. Thank you for listening in Sweden. Definitely. Um, Okay, so 
like I said, you kind of mirror the same upbringing that I did. You know, when I was a child, um, I think a lot of my use stemmed from it was it was my own personal dysfunction, even though I was kind of living in it. You know, I, I mean, I could say that I was brought up in a in a normal quote unquote family at the time, but you know, my parents did divorce. Um, they both did get remarried. Um, I don't necessarily know where I fit in that equation. And I think when I found marijuana for the first time, I think it sang a song to me in my head that, you know, you finally made it home. And um, I would imagine that that's where you are too, because those are the words that I have written in front of me. Oh, absolutely. You hit it on the money. Sang a song to me, too. You know, and I I would venture to say that if you polled, you know, addicts in your treatment program, if you went in tomorrow and said, you know, raise your hand, how many people come from a broken family? So many would raise their hands. How many people tried marijuana first? So many would raise their hands. How many people ultimately ventured into the throes of active addiction living on a park bench? So many would raise their hands. And the common factor is that we all felt uncomfortable with who we were in the situations that we were brought up in. Absolutely. I think so much of it is, you know, your home environment and what goes on in the home. It's so many families have their secrets, you know, and trying to look normal on the outside, but really on the inside, there's just chaos. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the chaos, you know, looking back, like I said, we, I, we could dress up put on a Sunday to go to church clothes and look like a functional family, and, you know, we weren't getting beaten behind the scenes and all of that. It just, I think, the chaotic lifestyle of displaced, for lack of a better term, displaced love, you know, like my, my mother's going to hold me to task for that because I know she's listening, but um, but that's okay. She can go to what's that meeting and work it out. Um, <laughs> well, she's in yeah, recovery Don't you as think well. some of it is the, the attention is taken away from you when your parents are going through something but that's, that's horrible. But that's what I mean, Displ- that, yeah. that displaced love, I mean, yeah. They love you and they're caring for you, but they're going through something very deeply awful. You know, just, I'm, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to say, but, you know, it's ripping them apart. So mm-hmm. it's very it's very hard to project the, you know, the warm, loving, safe, and, and maybe the safety thing is a factor too. Although I've been married to my husband for 39 years, long years. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we did... You know, we're we're together for the long haul. Right. And I still have two kids that are addicts. Both of my kids are ADHD kids. And I, I've, I have found that that seems to play into it as well. I don't think I've ever met an addict who wasn't diagnosed with it. Lisa, you may be the one. I was diagnosed with ADHD as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, see, I'm old enough to be just ADD. They didn't have the H at the time, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, my son was ADD. He didn't have yeah. the hyperactivity disorder, but my right, daughter but had think, it all. But I do, but they just didn't have it classified yeah. in 1978. Well, you know, it's too. a squiggly kid. Come yeah. on. So, Lisa, you ultimately made it into college as well um, as as an active addict or, like, share a little bit about your story and, and how you got to where you went and brought you, what, what ultimately brought you to your knees. I think I went into college, you know, I always had behavior issues in high school, uh, you know, getting sent to the principal's office, and and I was smoking a lot of weed in high school, of course, so I was stoned all the time. Uh, My 
So I guess you could call that active addition, addiction, but really um, it started the downward spiral for me when I found um, Oxycontin, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, which started off as, um, hey, snort this and you're going to have fun. And of course, for me, that's how you know that I was probably born a drug addict because I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I don't know right. what it does, but sounds like a hell of a yeah. time. Let's give it a, give it a whirl, you know? So, yeah. And I think, um, I, I think that, a- I think that, you know, for, for, for an addict, like I can so relate to that because everything that was presented to me, I mean, it could have been diarrhea pills and somebody said, here, right. these will work wonders for you. Oh, okay, right. cool. And just throw them down my throat. It just, just yeah, waiting for the do? effect. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. I I was terrified of everything. Even weed scared me. (laughs) That's just the mentality that, you know, people like us have from the get-go. Try anything once, you know. uh, Every addict I know is a huge risk taker. They love the adrenaline rush. And it was always the next thing to take me out of myself. What's going to, you know, help me to escape from feeling like me? And... Mm -hmm. And Oxy definitely does that. You know, the first time um, I threw up when I did it, it made me sick to my stomach. And you would think, okay, well, here we go again. Somebody normal, they throw up after snorting a line of Oxy. They're probably not going to do it again. Definitely (laughs) not. (laughs) Right? Right. That would be a normal reaction. But for someone like me, I was like, I'm going to try it again. Yeah, and it kind of intri- intrigued you to to do it more. I can I can so relate because the first time that I tried heroin, that I got sick, and right. I, you know, and and I say this, you know, I wasn't physically addicted, um, but emotionally, I was immediately addicted to it. You know, and oh, that's interesting. You got the mental addiction first. Absolutely, you know, and and I and I welcomed I welcomed the physical addiction, but you know, uh, like you like you know like you said, you got sick, and the normal person would just go like, Whoa, "I'm not doing this uh, again." I'm, yeah, I'm not eating that stuff out of that dumpster again. And ultimately, right. I went back and got the same donuts with the ants on it. You know what I mean? Of course, of course. That's uh, that was the natural thing for me to do is just keep going. You know, always right. mm-hmm. the last man to go to bed after the party. So, so that, where did you ultimately go to school? So I was a, a student at the University of Arizona. I was oh. about my um, junior year when I found Oxy. Um, prior to that, it was, you know, it was on with the alcohol before that anyway. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. at the U of A, it's a huge party school, and it was completely Beautiful school, beautiful school. Yeah, I was, I was oh, fortunate enough to, uh, in my working career, I, I built... Um, cellular phone systems and back in like 1986 or so I worked at uh, the university I worked in uh, Tempe at um, ASU right around ASU and we went to was that communication mountain out there in uh, in um uh uh where, where the University of Arizona is what's the mountain that's out there with all, with all the radio towers on it I think it's called A mountain yeah, something like that, and and we got to you know go through the school and everything, and that's it's a beautiful country out there. Yeah, it, it is beautiful. I mean, there's not a whole lot to do besides get drunk every day. <laughs> <laughs> At least in Tucson, you know, it's a little bit of a right. smaller town than uh, Tempe. Deal with the heat, and that was right? normal. Yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, they it was like a there was a name for every day of the week, an excuse to drink, like Tuesday, booze day, Tuesday, and yeah, I don't even know, but wet it was day normal. Wednesday, and, and yeah, yeah, right, right, of course. 
So that I was doing that well before I started uh, experimenting with the harder stuff, you know. And um, of course, I met this guy, and he introduced me to the oxy. And before I knew it, I was so hooked. I mean, I did it maybe twice, and I was already done. Like you know, that's, that's the exact same thing my daughter told me. She smoked her first pill, her senior, I guess, her senior graduation party, and. Uh, that was it for her. It was it was done. Yeah, it'll get you hooked really fast. That's a scary thing because there's just something about it. And it, if it hits you and you two are a match, I mean, for me, that was a match made in heaven. I was like, <laughs> I have been searching for this my entire life. Here is my soulmate. Crazy, right? Yeah. To, look, yeah. to look back on it. But, I mean, just to willfully walk into that, willfully walk into that madness. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, when I when I look back, you know, as a good remember when, um, you know, I'm grateful that I can speak of my experiences not with uh, disdain, but like with like like what you jokingly saying, yeah, that was that was, you know, like. Normal people don't do that. I I'm, I can embrace who I am, and I, and I would never give up a day of who I was because I wouldn't have who I am today. So I think I have to embrace ultimately the the person that I, the shell of a person that I became, and I can't do that with disdain because then I'm looking down my nose at who I was, and I think I'm, I put myself, that's my disease telling me that I'm better than. So, you know, for me today, and, and I hear it in your voice, you, you know, you're, you're welcoming, um, you're welcoming your past in order to, be, to stay focused today. Of course, I mean... I don't run from my past today. I choose to learn from it and use those experiences to share the message with other addicts that they can get sober too. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I wouldn't change a thing either because who I am today, I have learned so much through my journey of recovery, you know, from struggling from this. And I think it's an amazing thing when a, a drug addict can recover because so many people think it's so hopeless. You know what I mean? And it's not. Mm. There's so many and also, that have done it. Right. And also in the same token, so many think it's expected and it's not something that you can that's easily done. I mean, I, I struggled for a long time and I'm sure you did as well, you know, like this isn't the life that we chose to well, I think maybe it's the life we chose to live, but it's not the life that was supposed to be in the cards for us. You were supposed to go right. to Tucson and go to school and be a productive whatever that you were trying to uh do and I was supposed to go in the Marine Corps and come out, you know, uh, with a, with some type of an education, and I think we both got an education that we didn't plan on. Oh, there was no way that I thought I would grow to be a drug addict. That was just not in the cards for me. And in the end, it, it wasn't us really choosing it anymore, was it? <laughs> was no, absolutely not. Us. No, absolutely not. They dictated. So share a little bit. It says uh, you on your little bio here, it says you made two attempts to commit suicide. Um Share a little bit about that. I don't want to get too graphic because I don't want to put you in a funky spot. But Oh, I'm happy to get graphic if it, if it helps <laughs> other people because suicide is a real, real thing. And I was 22 years old, the first attempt that I made on my life. And this was before I even started, you know, with the needles and the hell. And this was just pure um, oxy, Xanax, and cocaine. And 
I, I knew I couldn't stop. You know, like when you want to stop so badly with every fiber in your body and in your heart and soul, you want to stop, but you can't. You can't <laughs> stop because that, those drugs, they own you. So at that point in my life, I didn't know recovery was possible. I didn't know who to turn to for help. I was so alone so alone that I really thought there was no hope for me and that I might as well just kill myself because I can't go on living the rest of my life trying to, you know, get high just to be able to function. I mean, that's not how I wanted to live. And I didn't think that I'd be able to live without it. So death was the only option and I welcomed it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, um, you know, my boyfriend at the time, he had a gun in the house and I waited for him to go to work. And, um, for about an hour, I sat on the bathroom floor with that gun to my head, switching it from my temple to inside of my mouth back and forth, not knowing where was the better place to pull the trigger. Wow. And, um, for me at the time, it seemed, it just made more sense to do it, um, at my temple because I thought that would be less messy than in my mouth just in case, Mm. you know, um, I don't know what I was thinking. I I was sobbing my eyes out, you know, just crying because I, I couldn't pull the trigger, but, but I wanted to, and I did, I pulled the trigger and, um, the safety was on. Oh Oh my goodness. Somebody was watching out for you. Yeah. Hmm. And, um, and I had locked myself in the bathroom and my boyfriend had come home from work and he kicked the door down and found me in there with the gun. Not very long after I realized the safety was on and he, you know, took the gun from me and he immediately like took it apart. And I don't even really know how to work a gun, obviously, because I had to turn off the safety. So that was the first attempt. Uh, the second attempt was probably a few months later. Um, I, I tried to hang myself from the ceiling fan. Um, with the cord from the cable cord you, from the TV. You were serious, weren't you? I was very serious. You Guns know? and I hanging, that's that. a lot different than taking a handful of pills because a lot of times that doesn't work. Right, you watch too much right. SUV, I think, yeah. or SVU. Oh, I was watching <laughs> SVU on repeat because that was the only station <laughs> I had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a dark time for me, I think, uh, I think I was very serious about it because a lot of the time they say women go for a less violent approach to suicide. And usually it's the men who go for a gun or um, Mm. hanging themselves. Or hanging themselves, yeah. Yeah. So usually women tend to um, overdose, Uh like take the easier Take the the clean way out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, I just kind of want to... um, um, Hold it there for a second because I wanted to let everybody know that phone lines are open. Uh, if you want to talk to Lisa or if you want to share a little bit of your experience, strength, and hope, dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Just remember, everything that you've ever dreamed of is on the other side of the fear you feel. Pick up the phone. 
we can help. Also, if you do not want to call on the air and if you want to speak to me off air, dial 855-STOP-USING. That's 855-STOP-USING. That goes right to my cell phone when I'm not on the air. I will call you back and I will try to give you a little bit of my experience, strength, and hope and hopefully set you on a path to um, – where you can get some help close to where you are. Like I said, Sweden listens to us. Don't know anybody in Sweden, but I know that I can find somebody that would be able to help you. We are about ready to go to a break. We will pick this up on the other side. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, everyone. We are speaking with Lisa Cohen, who is the co-founder of Path to Serenity Treatment Center in Los Angeles, or is it in a city outside? Orange County. Close enough. Orange? Well, yeah, Orange County. The OC. <laughs> the, o- <laughs> the OGOC. Okay, so you were sharing a little bit about... Um, couple of attempts of suicide um, and I didn't want to just leave it 
on that side of the break. I figured maybe we would pull it on this side as well. And maybe you could share with the audience a little bit of how you processed yourself through that and what your take on where your mindset was at the time, you know, in your vision today. Well, after, you know, after that happened and, um, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I know that I truly didn't want to die anymore. I I had this will in me to live, to fight, and to just hold on a little bit longer. I don't know where that came from uh, because it, it was so hopeless for me at that point, right? I mean, it was such a dark time, mm-hmm. but... I mean, I was literally like on my knees in my bathroom on a daily basis, just miserable. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror because the girl staring back at me was so empty. I didn't even recognize her. So at that moment, I think I had maybe like a moment of clarity looking at my reflection and being like, who are you? I don't know. Were you still, were you still actively in school at the time or no? I had, I had dropped out. And, um, I was working in Tucson, but I was in and out. Like I would convince my parents to let me stay. And and then I would try to go to class. I had one class to finish up before I graduated. And, and I was going to that class. I mean, sick, you know, with my hoodie on gray, (laughs) 92 pounds. I mean, I, I looked awful. And I just remember the other classmates just looking at me like, what is wrong with this girl? Like she has the flu every time she comes in here. But, you know, the sick thing is, the the sick thing is, is that there was somebody in that class going, wow, I want to be just like her. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the the madness. That's the madness of addiction. Somebody was like, wow, I want to find out what she's doing. I want to get like that. What what were your parents doing this whole time? I mean, they must have figured out there was a problem at some point. They knew. I mean, one of my friends... I had a good group of friends before I got lost in addiction and one of them had sent her an email anonymously uh, because there had just been an overdose in my, in my um, school. Uh, Somebody had overdosed on Xanax and Oxy. And so he knew what I was doing, this guy. And he, he made the, he wrote this email to my mom and he was like, your daughter's going to die if you don't get her some help. So at that point, my mom had flown me back to California and, you know, attempted to send me to detox. But then there there were times where I didn't even have a cell phone and, and there was a long period of time where my parents couldn't contact me even if they wanted to. They didn't know where I was living. Oh my gosh, your poor mother. I was dropped out of school. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine for my parents what they were going through. I still hear about it to this day. You know, that's, that's a living amends I'll be making probably for the rest of my life, um, earning their trust back, even with almost four years sober now. I think that a mother never really gets over that. <laughs> That's funny. We were just talking about that. We 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 really don't. You know, I've I've been at this with my daughter for about ten years now, and she's doing okay right now. But the trust factor will never totally be there again. I don't think because you just never know. Right. It's scary. I mean, addiction is a real scary thing. Oh, it is. And you don't know. You know. Your mom probably was like me, didn't know what she was up against. Because I had no idea. I didn't know anybody who, I'd never known addicts. You know, maybe yeah. oh, a few alcoholics and I, here and there, but, I, you know. If we get in a fight, 
my mom instantly is like, are you on drugs? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm not on drugs. You're just pissing me off. Today? You get really sad. You start, you know, she probably worries that you're going to relapse because that's what I do. And, right. and then you start getting vigilant and watching everything, even though that's totally against my program. But, you know, it's just, it's a visceral reaction because you're scared. There's so how, how, is your, how is your relationship today? I mean, one of the reasons why you're on is because you co-founded Path to Serenity with your mother. With your mother. So, like, how is, you know, like you said, you get in, a, you get in an argument with your mother and she's like, are you on drugs? That's not, that doesn't happen today, correct? No, that was more like when I was newly sober. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think the trust is getting stronger and stronger between us every day, but it went both ways. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of trust for my mom um, because she wasn't there for me in the way that I wanted her to be, and that goes into all the other underlying issues of why mm-hmm. we're using drugs to begin with. I felt emotionally abandoned and And I wasn't communicating that. We didn't communicate well. When I was a teenager, I hated my mom. I mean, everything Mm -hmm. she said was wrong. You know, like she couldn't do anything right, no matter how hard she tried. And a lot of that was on me, too, of course. So once I got sober and us building this relationship, when I was in treatment, I learned so much about family dynamics and the different roles that each member of the family plays. I mean, the hero, the victim, the scapegoat, and the rescuer. And it was just so interesting to me, the way that the family will switch up when one family member gets sober. I was just going to say, we all fall, we all fall into those different roles at different times. Yeah. Yeah. I know what mine is. (laughs) That's what fascinated Mm. me to work in this industry was the way that the family dynamics had shifted so dramatically in my own family. that Mm -hmm. My mom and I wanted to open up a place for other people to get what we got for their family. So do me a favor and share, do me a favor right now, now that we're speaking of that, share your social media outlets where people can look at um, Path to Serenity and, you know, how they can get in touch with you or if somebody is looking for just somebody to talk to, how they can reach out and speak to you. Absolutely. So, we have a website, of course, and it is www.pathtoserenity.com, just spelled out Path to Serenity. And we have a Twitter and Facebook, and that's Path number two, Serenity. And we do have an Instagram as well, Path underscore two, Serenity, no numbers. And um, of course, we have an admissions cell phone number, and that is 949 253. Four seven seven one, and our one eight hundred number is on the website as well. So there's a bunch of ways to get in contact with our team here at Pass. How Friday. many? How many bed facility is it? I was just going to ask that. Beat you to it. How many we, bed facility so is it? We keep it really small, Ray. Um, mm-hmm. We have six beds for detox and residential for women, and we have six detox and residential beds for the men. Oh, and nice. We have an addition, yeah, we have an additional house for our outpatient clients as well, which is seven beds. Um, we could have gone a lot bigger, uh, but so many treatment centers are, are so big that I didn't want to do that because we get by just fine being small and we're really able to give that individualized care. I mean, our clients right. are so much more A little bit more intense. Yeah, right. A little yeah, bit more individual intense. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you I, know, and like it's, it shows it shows that it's not about. I mean, granted, it is a business, but it shows that it's not about the almighty dollar. It's about sharing a message to six, twelve individuals where other places push twelve through in five days. And yeah. how exactly. long is your I mean, program? I really recommend that clients stay ninety days to yeah. six months. I mean, if I could convince somebody to stay in treatment for six months at the minimum, I would. But that is like that's like you know hammering the last nail in their coffin. When you tell an addict six months, they're like, "No way, <laughs> that's a lifetime." But I mean, we oh, know most to most of the ones days. that I know have gotten high on the way to rehab. Right? No, I uh, mean, I was I was clean in a day. As far, yeah. I was clean in a day as far as I was concerned. Oh, yeah, okay, you took me off the street for a night. I'm good. Um, right. But no, ultimately, like you said, I, I got out of my own way and went into, at the time, it was called detox, but it was, I guess, rehab. It was a 30-day program, 28- yeah. to 30-day program. Um, but it was called detox at the time because it was a, it was a unit where you couldn't get out of. Um, and then ultimately, they suggested I go to a halfway house, which was a six-month program. And this was a real halfway house. There was counselors. There yeah. was things that we had to do. Like people call halfway houses today just a flop house. That it's a sober house where exactly anything goes in it. And and it's it's a scary environment out here today. So I think it's great that you're keeping it small and you're keeping it um, Intensive that way because because you can focus on those twelve people a lot greater than you can if you have seventy. Yeah, granted, you're helping seventy people, but you're not really. You're just housing them with with right. twelve people. With twelve people, there's the intent of help, and it's and well, and you it get shows. to know them too. So you know, I think the the caring that comes from knowing somebody would come across. Yeah, and I think the clients feel more at home that way too. They get comfortable in a home-like environment. It's small. They all know each other. They all know the staff. The staff knows them. I mean, you know everyone's name. You know what their day is like. You know what's going on with their family members. I mean, all their, all their details that, that they come here to work out therapeutically, you're not confusing the clients with each other's, you know, stories. You know your, each client's individual needs because it's easy to remember when there's less of them. Right now, is it all is it all located in the same building, or do you have? Is it like the? I don't want to say the Florida model, but I mean, do, is it located in the same building, or are there separate buildings where the IOP is and PHP and and the detox and rehabs? So the different levels of care, we do have different facilities. The female house is actually in a suburban residential area in Villa Park. And all of our staff, our clinicians, our support staff, they all work in and out of this house. And then just around the corner of that same neighborhood, we have the men's house. So it's very intimate. They're doing their groups and everything in the home. Uh, of course, we take them on outings and stuff. you got to get them out of the house or they can stir mm-hmm. crazy. Right. Uh, and then we have an IOP building uh, just located about 15 minutes away in Costa Mesa. And that's, the clients have to go there for their IOP. Okay, you know it's funny where you just said they they go stir crazy. Yeah, that the the facilities that I had been in, you know, some of them had locked doors. Majority of them were, uh, you know, they had the the, the uh, hospital slippers with the with the smiley faces on them. You know, oh, and no, when it's like one when, flew over the cuckoo. Well, yeah, well, I mean, it was just it was one step away from that. Yeah. Was, this was this was yeah, you know the early eighties and. 
Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that when I came down here, because because that model was so prevalent up in the Boston area, that that was common. And, um, you know, when I came down here and I was going to meetings and I heard people that were in recovery facilities sharing that they got to go to the beach, I was like, there's no beach. (laughs) There's no beach. What's going on here? I, I, you know, I mean, my sick mind said, well, maybe you better use so you can go to the beach, not even thinking, hey, you idiot, you can go to the beach now. You know, but that that right. is the that is the addict's mentality. Like, hey, wait a minute, I got ripped off when I was lo- I was locked down, and and now <laughs> yeah, you knuckleheads go to, to the beach. Take me to one of those nice ones where you get massages oh, and go to the beach. Totally yeah. entitled mentality. It's so funny. They come from the streets with nothing, and I was the same way, living on the yep. streets with not a dollar to my name, but I was the most entitled girl in treatment. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Weighing, weighing. Uh, would you say eighty six pounds or something like that? Thinking that you, <laughs> oh, thinking that you yeah, belong on Vogue. Pounds. Yeah, yeah. Thinking you belong on the cover of Vogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very accurate. <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. We all went through it. I was weighing one hundred and thirty two pounds, and I thought I thought I looked great. And you know, oh, yeah. maybe 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 if I had maybe if I had Mick Jagger's money, yeah. But <laughs> but other yeah. than that, no. Right, you had nothing to offer anybody. No, no, nothing at all. So I just want to let everybody know phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Uh, we have a couple of minutes before a break, so I just want to read. If you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, like Lisa is, please send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. That's ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. We will send you an information packet on how to schedule a time for you to be on the show for the full hour so we can focus on what you have to bring bring to the recovery community you know you have an awesome message because being a being an active addict um sadly trying not to be here um and fortunately enough you know missing a step and being able to be here to share your your triumph um that you know this is this is this is the great american dream this is the this is the story not not you know going out there and and screwing your life up so that you could become a business owner but you know it's a great american (laughs) dream to be able to come you know out of the ashes into you know the fire of of recovery and you know not many people get to do that. You know, it's a select few. If the, You know, like they say, this program isn't for everyone who needs it. Because if it was, our society would be completely different. You know, if we could just pluck people up and say, okay, you need it, and plug a tape in, um, you know, the world wouldn't be the way it is today. Fortunately enough, we were lucky to have something stick in our mind, you know, we, we were the people ultimately, we joked at the beginning of the show saying, you know, despair, <laughs> pick me, you know, oh, right. diarrhea pills, yeah, I'll try those, you know, so, you know, fortunately enough, um, you're, 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 you're living, you're living past your means, you're living, you know, a life that you never destined yourself to. And I'm grateful that you can come on and share your message of hope, because I'm sure there is somebody out there that 
needs to hear it. Somebody out there that is just at the end of their rope and can relate to you sitting on the bathroom floor saying enough is enough and sadly it didn't go the way that you wanted it to. Gratefully today you can share about that. I just want to let that person know that phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792. We'll be back in a moment. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you a pet parent? Are you interested in a better understanding of the care and health of your best friend? Listen every week for Pet Panorama with Dr. Julie Mayer. Just as in your own personal health care, you can also take charge of the health care of your pet by exploring natural approaches to keep them healthy in addition to more conventional veterinary care. Don't you want them having the best life possible? Listen Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. We got the power to change the world. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to miracles in recovery to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org now back to this week's show hey welcome back to the last segment of this week's show And if you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, please send an email to ray at miraclesandrecovery.org. That's ray at miraclesandrecovery.org. We'll send you an information packet on how to schedule a time for you to be on the show for the full hour, like Lisa is with us tonight, uh, so we can focus on what you have to bring to the recovery community. Lisa, let me ask you a question. Looking back, what's the one thing you wish you knew while you were going through your journey towards recovery? Like when you were out there using, is there something that you wish you knew that would have maybe either brought you in sooner or do you think that you just had to follow your path to the day that you got clean? You know, there's a couple things. The first thing is I wish I knew there was help available. Uh, There's such a stigma against 
people struggling with addiction that I felt like I felt subhuman. I didn't even feel like a human being anymore. And the, the first time I made that phone call to a detox and I was talking to a nurse on the other end of the line and she spoke to me like an actual human being. And it had been so long since somebody treated me with an ounce of respect that that was really, that was it for me where I, I was like, I'm going to do this. I can do this. I, I am still human. So having help available and knowing that there's resources out there is so important. I wish I would have known sooner. Of course, at the same time, I think I did have to kind of take the journey that I took because that's what got me to mm-hmm. where I am today. I but think, I think we all have help. to. Yeah, I think we all have to do that. Now, do you, um, uh, Path to Serenity, do you make that, do you, are you make yourself aware in the community for the people who, like, do you do outreach or anything like that for the people who are still out there struggling just because that's something that you experience and you wish that you had? Absolutely. Um, I'm working on going to hospitals more so that they know that after doing a, an inpatient detox in a hospital situation, there is aftercare available so that you don't just go and do your detox and then you're off on your own again because that's the hardest thing for people. It, it, they just The hospitals can just you know release them and then they're back in the world and, and it's like, well, how do I stay sober now? I mean, they, they clean me up off the drugs, but the obsession in your mind is still there. You just want to keep using anyway. So knowing aftercare is available, uh, I try to reach out that way. And also, of course, going on, on radio shows like this. I'm not a huge talker. I don't love talking about myself. I do this. <laughs> yeah, I right. There. <laughs> well, I guess we all love it a little bit, right? <laughs> I just hope that there are people actually listening who need the help. And maybe, you know, somebody turns on the TV and they see an addiction commercial. Um, anything like that, I'm all for it because fighting that stigma is one of my ultimate goals um, in this life besides doing the work I do for the treatment. Yeah, that's one of my center. passions too. I just, I think it's a disease and it should be treated like one and you guys get such a terrible, terrible I don't know, reputation I guess. And I, and I think No, it's, we deserve it. You know, well, but still you're, you're sick and if I think the shame that comes with that is one of the things that keeps people sick the longest. You know, because right. you do start feeling so like you're not human. Yes, and and that could have killed me. You know, I'm lucky that I survived right. because yes. of how ashamed I was of the human I had become. I I didn't want to be here anymore. I just don't want that to happen to other active users out there that think this is the end and they're at the end of their rope. Like I want them to know that there's help available, and I'll do everything in my power to continue to share that message until the day I die. Do you have a family program as part of your uh, recovery program? We do. So our therapists offer family uh, therapy, and and um, the family program is so important because this disease affects the whole family. I mean, you can't really it say definitely who does. For. I mean, you're a definitely. mother of two two addicts, and and that in, is its own problem. I mean, the kid for your kids, they're suffering, but you're suffering like. I don't know who is suffering more because I think from both ends, it's absolutely awful. And some it people is. say it, it really must is. be worse for the parents, but, but then you look at the addict and it's like they want to stop and they can't stop. So I really am very proactive in, in family therapy and that uh, all individuals need to change, not just the, the individual who's actively using. 
Well, it's true. The whole family gets sick. Enabled. You know, it's it's not just the yeah. addict; it's the entire family, and, and everybody needs to get on board with with recovery. In my humble opinion, right. And you know, the the I funny agree. thing is, is that you say the whole the whole family gets sick. The addict, you know, the addict at least gets to medicate. You know, so, and I say that because um, I got to hide from the dysfunction. I got to hide from the chaos. Granted, I was a, a big generator of the chaos and, and dysfunction, but I got to hide behind it. So I think with that being said, I did a lot more damage to the people that loved me looking in um, because I became like like an emotional terrorist. I knew what I could do with the people that I had in the room. Like if, you know, I know my sister's listening, so I'll use her as an as a, as a uh, as an example. I knew if I spoke to her in a certain way, I could get what I needed from her. I knew if I spoke to my brother in a certain way, I could get what I needed from him. So I became like an emotional terrorist. Um, oh yeah. All. All the time medicating myself not to have to be aware of what it was that I was doing because I was, I, you know, I was raised with good morals. I was raised with good behavior. I just chose to throw them in the closet, lock the door, throw the key away and become this emotional terrorist. So I think that, you know, yes, the family is greatly broken. Um, due to a lot of things that they experience from us. And I think it's absolutely awesome that um, programs now are welcoming families in as to where they're not just a dealing, they're not dealing or addressing the issues of the addict. They're dealing with the, the family unit as well and, and trying to get that family whole again and, and healthy again. Absolutely. And, and of course, there's also so many clients, they don't want to open that door because they're so ashamed and they're so afraid of everything that they think they've done to their family members mm -hmm. that they're very resistant at first to the family therapy, which I love. I love it when they're resistant at first because that shows to me that you're growing, that you're, you recognize that shame. You're feeling that guilt now. The mm -hmm. drugs are gone and you're feeling it. And, uh, and it takes, you know, try after try after try to, to convince some of these individuals to open that door. And I love it when that door finally opens and the healing begins for said individual and their parents, you know? It's just beautiful. Now, what is it that you do at the facility now? What is your, what is your job title at, the, at uh, Path to Serenity? So my current job title, though I do wear several hats, is uh, Director of Admissions. And mm -hmm. like I was saying when I made that, uh, that first phone call to that nurse in the detox, I'll never forget the sound of her voice for the rest of my life and, and the hope that it gave me. So I'm currently working my dream job, answering the phones and, and being able to reach the person who is raw and in that moment, and in their disease, in their sickness, reaching their hand out for help. And it, it makes me feel good that I'm that hand they're reaching out to and I get to pull them out of it. You know, it, that really gives me purpose working in this field. I'm also in in-house, like on the floor, um, dealing with their medication needs and sort of overseeing support staff and talking to the doctors, making their appointments, when doing their intake when they first come in. I love that, too, when they come in all messed up. And, nice oh, to remember when. It, you know, yeah, takes me back every time. Right. Now, now on a on a scale of one to ten, or, or like you know, 
six of one, half a dozen the other. Calls that you take, do you take more from family members or do you take more from addicts reaching it's out actually, and, and asking? It's more so the addict, um, but really? wow. I get a that mom. That surprises or, me. Yeah. Yeah, Because I can tell you, I've made a lot of those phone calls. That's why I asked, because yeah. I knew Ellen made a lot of phone calls. Occasionally, we get the, the parent, you know, the mom. The mom with a, a 35-year-old son. Oh, Tommy, little Tommy, he needs help. And I'm like, how old is little Tommy? Oh, he's 35. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. little Tommy yeah. needs to get on the phone himself. But, you know, I'll walk you through the process. Right. Well, I mean, I guess you have two different conversations. You have the conversation with the parent. Um, yeah, they eventually make the addict come on, too. Yeah. Right. I, well, we've had to do that every time. Job. They always had to talk to them. Yeah, I always no, tell them, you know, I'm going to have to talk to your son or your daughter and make sure that they really want this and that it's not you pushing it on them because we're just going to be wasting everybody's time if they don't really want to go. Now, it says here that you're currently in the process of obtaining a certification as a drug and alcohol counselor. I am. Yeah, I just finished uh, the classes actually a couple weeks ago. That was a long, long class. <laughs> it took like how long? How, how long of a journey is that? That the program I did took fourteen months. So it was every Saturday. Uh, I learned so much in that class. I just loved my teacher. He was hilarious. Would you? Would you do it? So Self-love. I went through uh, CCAP, which C-cap? is you know the the better known school. It's called CCAP, and that's spelled C-C-A-P-P. Now, that's in Orange County? That is in Orange County, and I, be, I believe they do classes in L.A. County as well. Oh, okay, cool. And, and was it, like, is it a big class? Like, were there a lot of people, or is, is this something that there's a lot of people that are venturing into doing, or was it, like, four or five people in class? There were about 28 of us. At the beginning, and then, of course, like any good addict, a few of them dropped out. Uh, right. But most of us were actually in recovery, which was so interesting that recovered addicts and alcoholics are now seeking, you know, this alternative route mm. to help people. And then there you know, were a the, couple of people that were just affected in the family, and right. they wanted to help you know, people. The, the funny thing is, is, you know, the, the people who find themselves in the recovery community you know on the on the on the assistance end like you know in in a program like that that have no common understanding or value to addiction you're like well, how'd you even get here yeah, you know why, what i mean why like, would you even think about it because well, it never occurred, well because it because some people you know me. i mean do you know your husband was born a pilot you know what i mean like yeah. Nobody in his family was a pilot, and he became one. So, like somebody, what you know, the common the common factor of, I know why I would do it. You know why you would do it. Lisa knows why she would do it. Why is Joey down the street showing up yeah, to is, be a productive yeah, member of Joey the recovery care? community? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a different uh, aspect. It would never have occurred to me before this though, to do something like that. Never in a million years. I just I never thought about it. And, you know, this doesn't happen to people like us. And I'm sure your mom had those thoughts, too. It's just, you know, it's it's so weird. It sneaks up on you. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're kind of running out of time. We only have a minute left from what, from what the engineer says. So I want to 
quickly go over your social media outlets again so that if anybody didn't get to write it down, they can again. Or by all means, reach out to me at 855-STOP-USING and I will point you in Lisa's direction. We definitely have to have you back on again, Lisa, because we have so much more to talk about. And um, you are very engaging in what you have to say. You said that you don't have much to say, but what you say carried a lot of weight. So if you would, just share a little bit of your uh, social media um, outlets before we sign off. Of course. So we have our website, www.pathtoserenity.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at path2serenity. That's path2serenity with the number two. And on Instagram, path underscore T-O underscore serenity. And uh, you can find our 1-800 number on any of those websites. Okay, awesome. Well, it's been it's been fantastic talking to you and really having is. you as a have, having you as a guest. Um, I thank look forward so to much. speaking. I look forward to speaking to you in the future. And thank you for coming on Miracles in Recovery. Thank you so much. Thank it's been wonderful. And tell your mother hello for me. I I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> and and to our audience, remember Miracles in Recovery every Monday night. From whatever country you're on, good night, Sweden. And remember, hope is in your corner. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.